If you weren't here last week, we, uh, we spent some time, I'm spending the next uh, few weeks in, our, in the vision that God gave us when, when he called my wife and I to, to take over the church. So I, I really didn't want to do just one vision Sunday. Um, I wanted to take the time into each area that God's called us to build and just unpack from the scriptures what we're seeing in those areas. So if you can put our slide up, Kat, just so guys can remember. Last week we spoke about reformation and I... I wanted to ask if anyone had any questions, and I failed to do that. So I'm going to ask that this morning, and I'm going to give time for ask questions on point number two, which we're going to be doing focus this morning. So does anyone have any questions about what I preached last week? If you weren't here, it's okay. If you don't have questions, that's okay. No? Going once, twice, thrice. No? Fantastic. I want you guys to feel... I said last week that we we are... Uh, leading this church in, in what God's telling us to do and stepping where we believe God's calling us to step. But it's not just Jess and I and you guys are coming to, to help build our vision. If, if you call this place home, God's calling you into what God's given to us in this place. We truly believe that, that God is calling us to be something in this city and to, to impact this city for His glory and for His name. And I think the more and more we pray and the more and more we ask God to show us, I think it looks a lot different to what we've seen before. And I think it looks a lot different to what we've even begun to imagine. But I, I want you to know that this is, this is our vision. It's not Jess and I's vision. It's our vision as a house. And when you come and, and you feel God tells you to call this place home, you, you help build what God's asking us to build. Is that okay? So if I say something that you don't quite understand or you don't understand what I mean, it's imperative that, I, that, that you ask that question so that we all understand where it is God's taking us. Yes, God has given Jess and I the, the role of visionary elder. And we truly believe that God gave us this blueprint. So I'm not going to go and chop and change it at, at everybody's discretion or will. But if you don't understand it, you can't carry it. I spoke last, last week about the verse in Habakkuk which says, to write the, the vision clear on tablets so that all those who read it may run with it. So, so we have a job to, pro to project the vision clearly, but it's all of our jobs to pick it up and run with it and carry it into what we believe is, is, is where we're going. Is that okay? We want to reform the church by shifting our focus back onto Jesus Christ to disciple the people and take our mission out into the city, the nation, and the nations. This point is probably been one of the most difficult points um, to achieve that, that Jess and I have found alongside the first one about reforming the church. We've found that to, to shift people's focuses has been one of the most difficult tasks, even in conversations I'm having with other church leaders and other things that I'm involved in, to shift our focus away from ourselves and inward-looking uh, perspective onto an outward-looking perspective where we're looking at Jesus, we're looking at who God is. This has been an immense trouble. Most of the guys that we've had who, who have struggled with what I'm saying in this have got upset with the fact that it, it, it is, yes, it is about God, but it's also about me. There's this, there's this position in the, in the Western church in, in what we've been building, especially here on the Gold Coast, where there is this desire for it to be about me what is in it for me what where where can where can the church help me what's there for me but i, I want to put it to you that that's not why we gather together 
Jess and I want to make this place a home. We want it to be comfortable and nice. We want it to be something that when you walk in, you feel excited about and proud of, just like all you guys have with your house. But at the end of the day, it's about the people inside the house, right? It's about, it's, it's about that. So we're not, we're not pointing towards how incredible the building is. But for us here at church, it's about the worship of Jesus. That if everything else falls away, we come to worship him. If we lose the, the coffee machine or the lights or the building, or if we lose our, our fancy programs, at the end of the day, we can still gather in a park and worship his name because that's what it's about. So when we're looking at certain things about how we, how we move this forward, what God's given us, and continue to walk towards the direction, I, I keep saying, just and I keep saying to each other, how does it help us focus on Christ? Is this helping us in our pursuit and desire to sit face to face with Jesus or is it hindering us in that? So when we look at everything, including this new uh, uh, logo and, and you know, what, what do we put out the front, what do we have, do we, do we put stuff on Facebook, all those sorts of things, and we just keep coming back to, will it help us see him more? Will it help us know him more? Because that's what we're here for. And I tell you, the biggest struggle is that, that we say this a lot. I spoke a few week, weekends ago about having truth becoming our reality. That we, A lot of us have truth, but when it comes down to it, do we really, really believe what that means? We'll sing songs, God, send me anywhere. I'll go wherever you ask me to go. And then God sends us, we go, hang on, I didn't quite mean anywhere. I meant anywhere that I like. Right, we've got to start to, to understand that we, we're living in a selfie culture. I heard Francis Chan do a whole sermon about selfie, and it was hilarious, but incredibly challenging. He got everyone in the crowd to get their phone out and take a selfie. And everyone did it with, with absolute delight, and then he tore selfies to shreds. He said, go through your Instagram and show me how many photos there are of yourself. Our culture... Everything we are heading toward is about ease for self. But God's asking us to lay our lives down and pick up his. I was talking with a friend during the week um, about radios and podcasts and certain things. And um, he, he works in, in the media industry. He's from Adelaide. And he said to me, bro, everything in our culture, everything is heading toward ease for the person. He said, think about it. You get your food delivered to your house. You choose where the cab picks you up and when you want it to pick you up. Your music's on demand. Your movies are on demand. Everything we do is on demand. And he said, but in the church, we've picked that culture up and we've said, whatever you want, we'll make it happen. But then we look through the scriptures and Jesus is saying, lay down your life. Come to me and I'll give you the things that you need. The things that you need. So when we start kicking against this culture about shifting our focus, people start to get upset because all of a sudden they have to make a decision, is it about me or is it about him? Am I in this church because of the things that I can get from it or am I here because God's told me to and I know that I can worship him here and I want to bring what I have here? There's a difference in that. 
that as we mature as believers, God calls us into areas and areas within, within this house, maybe within other houses, within your sphere of influence, your work, your life, and we start to spread out and, and give what God's shown us to them. When Jesus tells us the two most important commandments, neither of them are purposefully for us. He says, love me. And in that, I'm going to explain in a minute, in that he pours out on us. But in that he says, love me and then love those around you. Both of those expressions are outward expressions. Giving. So when we come into the church, when we come into the building, when we gather together, why do we gather in way of what's in it for me? What can my I get? What can my family get? I wasn't going to do this, but I want to honor you, Tim and Taryn. Because when I remember when we first started Crossing Point, Tim and Taryn struggled because there wasn't a, a good home group for their daughter, a, a youth group or a, or a children's program. They came back. They, they, they came. Tell me if I'm telling this story wrong. You can yell at me. It's okay. They came. That was, a, that was an issue for them. They left. And then they came back and they said, God's calling us here. So we need to work out how we can help build something in that. How we can help position ourselves so that other families can come and we can create something where we can build into their families. That is huge. And now Taryn has spent time building our, our children's program, working out what is going to work and what's not going to work. Because they realize that there's a need for me here and it's not about what, what I can get, it's about how I can help build into what God has me into. So well done, guys. That's not an easy thing. Because we live in a culture where if it's not right for you, just go to something else. We live in a restaurant-style culture. If, the, if the, the meal's not good, don't go back to that restaurant. Go to the next one. But that's not what God's calling us to do. That's not where he's leading it, us. If you've got a Bible on you, go to uh, Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then, also, uh, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is adultery. On account of the, these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
man, we don't understand forgiveness. We're going to take some time and it's phenomenal once you really start to unpack how to really truly forgive somebody. And above all these things, 3 verse 14, and above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love that the author, the first thing that he says is to set your mind on heaven. So how do we achieve all of these things that he goes through and lists? How do we... How do we Stop doing the things that he says don't do and achieve the things that he says we should achieve. He, he prefaced that whole thing with set your eyes on him. We sang this morning to set our gaze upon Jesus. Put our eyes on, on his beauty and his splendor and who he is. But he, that doesn't mean just on a Sunday morning. Because we need to accomplish these things every day that we're out working. Every day that we're, we're walking in something, our eyes need to be set on him so that we can understand how to operate in this place the author is speaking about. In order to fulfill those things and live in a place where we are kind to one another, where we forgive one another, our position of our heart has to be on the places of heaven. Go with me to Revelation, last book, Revelation 4. I'm going to read quite a, a, a chunky piece of scripture because I, I've heard, we've, we've heard this set your mind on things that are in heaven quite often. Some of us probably have it on a fridge magnet or written somewhere on our desk because it's a good verse to remember. But I always started thinking, what does it mean, God? What does it mean to truly set our gaze on things that are in heaven? What, what, do we have a picture for that? And I think that in Revelations 4 and 5, God gives us a picture of what that looks like. Jesus says to John, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearls of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like an ox, the second living creature, uh, sorry, the first living creature like a lion, and the second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with, with six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, he who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and, and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. 
Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people. For God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders' voice, many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshipped. That's the scene. That's the scene that we look at. That's the picture of heaven that there's this incredible, immense worship and adoration of the King of glory. That when we say, how do I set my eyes on the things that are in heaven? What am I setting them on? I'm setting them on the holiness of the one who could open the seal. You notice the song changes between, between the, the, the unable to be opening and then the opening. That that's, that's pre and post the cross that that scene is referencing. That, that when that seal got opened, that was Jesus dying and coming back to life. He was the one who brings us into that place. So when we say put our, put our, our eyes on the things that are in heaven, put our, our focus on, on the heavenly places, what's happening in heaven based on this verse? Worship and adoration of the King. So when we get, when we get in a place where we're beat and we're, we're, we feel as though we're broken and we can't get up, and it says put our, place, put our eyes on the things that are in heaven, we're putting our eyes on a complete adoration and worship of Him. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. The other thing that rattles me about this verse is that the, the, the elders... They had crowns on their head. Who gave them the crowns? God, right? They were given by God. They had every right to be wearing those crowns because God gave them to them. Yet they cast that thing off their head. They cast it to the ground and they say, God, you are worthy. Even this honor you've given me, even this worthiness you've given me, I want you to have it back because I'm not worthy in your presence. That we see guys walking around pumped up and all, all, all pressed up on Mountain Dew and of who I am and this is, what, this, is, this is who I get to be and God's made me this. Even the elders cast their crowns. When we come to that place, when we close the door, we bend our knee, we take off our crown, whatever, whether we've put it on or God's put it on, God, you are worthy of it all. 
That's why I love that song, because I think it's just such a, a picture that we don't see very often in the church anymore, that we say we have to die unto ourselves, yet we operate from a place where we're only living unto ourselves. And God's saying, cast everything before me. I'll give this to you, God, it's yours, so that I can worship you. Whatever it is that's getting in the way, whatever it is that's, that's, that's clouding my worship and adoration of you, God, I give it to you because you are so worthy. You are so worthy of, of, of everything that I have, of all that I am. In adoration and awe of the King, their Creator, they worship Him. They lay down everything. It kind of looks like this. When I want to spoil my wife, I spoil her because of who she is. So when I'm standing in the shops thinking, okay, what can I do? What, how, how, can I, how can I make her feel loved and, and adored by me? And I come up with a plan, I run a bath or I buy her a gift or whatever it is. My focus the whole time that I'm doing that is on spoiling my wife. It's not based on what I could potentially get back at the end of that day. It's, man, I want, I want to make Jess feel loved and amazing. It's all about her in that moment. But because it's a marriage, she makes it all about me. But it's not my job to ensure that she makes it about me. It's my job to just pour out on my wife. That's the same relationship we have with God. It's not your job to determine how God should love you. It's your job to just give him adoration and full love. But here's the kicker. Here's the beauty about our, our amazing God, the creator. He loves you so much that he will pour back out on you because he's a good father. So I can't, if, if I buy my wife a gift going, yes, this is going to get me a better birthday present next time, you would call me a, you would call me a narcissist and a, and a bad husband, right? I keep increasing what I buy her because then I'm going to get a bigger present back. That's what we do in the church. Why do we do that with God? Do you think that those elders cast their crowns because they thought I'm going to get a bigger crown back? They cast their crown because they said, God, it's all about you. Everything is about you. And I've dropped to my knees to worship you because of who you are. That's what our relationship with our father has to look like. God, I give this to you. I give this to you. I tithe because I give it to you because it's yours and I want you to have it. I spend time sitting with people and hearing their problems, God, because I want them to know you because you, I want you to be worshipped by everybody. When we shift our position, when we shift our position from a place of thankfulness into a place of thankfulness, everything changes for us. Everything changes for us. We actually operate then out of a place where it doesn't matter, man, because I'm giving it all to God. I lost my house, but it doesn't matter because I know who he is. I know who my father is. and I'm going to worship him in that place. I was sitting having a, a, a coffee with, with Maddie, and um, he said something that, that absolutely was one of those moments where I said, just stop for a second, bro. I want to take a note because it was so good. But he said, Maddie, I'm stealing your quote, but I'm giving you some, some cred on it. He said this. He said, if when you, when you um, 
on Google, when you search for something, let's say you're looking for um, a, a spa treatment. When you search in Google spa treatment and you go through a few different websites and you have like, okay, found it, I'm good, I don't need to look at spa treatments anymore. When you go to your other apps like Facebook or Instagram or a game you're playing, those spa treatments pop up in your ads. Now, we all have seen that. Because what you're searching the way they set up the algorithms is that they want you to keep seeing the different ads. So they organize the ads so that you see what you're searching for. When God says, put your mind on things that are in heaven, it's because heaven will start to pop up in all the areas of your life. But when we put our mind on the garbage of this world, guess what? That garbage starts to pop up in every area of your life. We bring upon what we set our gaze upon. That's why Jesus, that's why the scriptures say, set your mind on this place of worship and adoration of me. Why? Because when you step into every area of your life, worship and adoration of me will come. So all of a sudden, that, that thing where we say, help the areas where we, where we don't believe, they become a little bit easier. Because now God and the worship of him is popping up in those areas where we don't believe. I can't tell you how many times I've seen something and been like, man, I don't know that I have the faith to see God break through in this, but I know that I know he's true in this, so I'm going to hold on to him. I'm going to focus on him what I've seen. And then it breaks and your faith changes. And you go, ah, man, God's just shown me that. A little bit more and a little bit more. He starts to pop up in all the areas of our life. When we focus on him, Everything begins to change in that. While I was at uni, I, I did a lot of study around psychology. And I think I've shared this before, but I don't, it's okay. We're just going to share it again because it's so good. There was a study done by two, two guys named uh, Simons and, and Charbery in 1999. And the, the research stunned a lot of people because they didn't realize it would come like this. But they did a study where there was five people wearing black shirts and five people wearing white shirts. Both teams had a ball and they had to pass the ball between their team as many times as they could, both at the same time. And they filmed this happening. So the guys were all intermingled, the black and white shirts were intermingled and the ball was being passed only to the people on there wearing their same colour t-shirts. Then they got a test study in to watch it. And what they had to do was they had to count how many times the people in the black shirts passed the ball backwards and forwards. So while they were counting, I think, I think they got, to begin with, they got 10, but they've now done it with 100, and, and over half did this. While they were counting, the ball being passed, one, two, three, between the black shirts, they had a man in a gorilla suit walk into the middle of the room, bang his chest, and then walk out. Over half the people didn't see the man in the gorilla chest, could not tell the person who was doing the experiment what walked into the room over half because their focus was so um it was so tuned in to the task at hand that they missed everything else we do this so often it's the same with the picture about about the ads we zone ourselves into the things that we think we need and we miss god in all the other areas of our life we zone ourselves into our work and, and, and how we should move our workplace forward, that we miss God in so many other areas of our life. I was having a conversation with Josh just this morning about how businessmen 
and women, I guess, businessmen and women, ruin their, their family lives because they're so focused on their career life that, that their family falls away because they set their gaze so strongly on, on their work life that their family life dies. You see, if we can't open our gaze up and say, say, God, I'm only going to look at you and trust that he is going to align every other area of our life, we're going to see areas that, that fall away for us. Does that make sense? It is so important for us to set our gaze on him, to set our gaze on the worship and adoration of our king. Something I've been talking about with our worship guys for so long is, is what we sing in worship, where we bring ourselves in worship. Does anyone know why we lift our hands? I once was asked that, why do you lift your hands in worship? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Because everyone else does? So surrender. Jenny. Trudy. Trudy steals. Do you want to preach? It's a surrender. I once, have a, I once had a buddy say this to me. He said, this is how I explain how I worship. If someone came in to a, into a shop where I was worth working and they pointed a gun at me, my first reaction would be to put my hands up to show that there's nothing in my hands. I surrendered. Hey, bro, it's yours. What do you want? Steal it, do it, whatever you got to do. It's yours. But the, the, the position was a surrendering, was a giving to but now what we've tended to do is we've tended to make it a receiving position. But I don't think it was ever meant to be a receiving position. It was always meant to be a surrendering position. I am going to get to how God pours out on us, but I need us to understand that we come in to offer everything to him. Everything. So when we worship, we put our hands in the air, God, I surrender to you. I'm singing songs about you because I'm fully surrendered. It's all yours. It's all yours, God. I worship you. I surrender to you. My life is yours. But in the beauty of a, of a father and the beauty of a, of a husband and a wife picture, they go, yeah, but my son, my husband, my wife, I love you. And I'm going to give you everything that I can give you. You see, we get the best part of the deal. We give our little bit and God gives us everything. We, we give given 1%. He's giving everything. 100% of what we can give is so much smaller than what God will give you. But it's not your job to determine what he gives you, how much he gives you. It's your job to just give him everything. Worship and adoration, God, to you. Everything, God, is yours. Everything I have is yours. We cast our crowns to him. I don't like paper. It's hard. It doesn't light up. It's old. It's hurt my eyes. Gee, it's all about me. Thank you. Thank you. Someone's getting it. I love it. Jesus did only as he saw the Father do. He spoke only what he heard the Father say. John 5.19 and Paul, the apostle, gathered people to show them the gospel of Jesus. It wasn't Paul's gospel when Paul was preaching it. 
It wasn't the gospel according to Paul. It was Jesus' gospel that he was presenting. It was the gospel of, of, of the Messiah, the Holy One, Jesus, King of Kings. That was the gospel he project, projected. How did Jesus only do what he heard the Father say and do what he saw the Father do? He never shifted his eyes from the gaze of heaven. He never forgot that complete adoration of worship. He never ever forgot, holy, holy, holy are you, God. He never shifted from that. Therefore, he acted in complete power and glory of God. He spent time in knowing who he was. That's where we, that's where we start to set our gaze. That's where we start to refocus. This is so important for us as a church. So important. And I, and I know that this may be at our detriment in the beginning to filling this building with people, but I cannot shift from it. I know that people have, have left saying, it just doesn't have what I need. It just doesn't have what I want. And I go, that's okay. That's okay. But I cannot shift from it. Because God showed me that, that his bride is to worship him. His bride is to honor him. And I go, okay, that's the truth. We all know that. You go to any church, they'll explain that to you. And I'm not pointing fun at any other church. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this is our mandate. God, we will worship you. If that means it's a little slow to take off, we will worship you. If that means we don't have all the programs and things that we think we need, we will worship you. If that means that we lose all of our chairs and we just have a, a broken acoustic guitar and we come and we stand for hours just giving him praise and adoration, we will do that. Because I cannot shift from this. The focus of our heart has to be Jesus. And it has to be Jesus not just in truth, but it has to be Jesus in the way we outwork that in our lives as well. It has to become reality for us. Is that okay? Everyone understand? Okay.